0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with a brilliant leader. We're joined today by Dr. Malik Pirrohit. And Dr. Piro talks to us often about digital health, about trends he's watching in healthcare, and a lot more. Dr. Pirrohit, can you take a moment to introduce yourself, and then we'll talk about what trends you're watching currently, what's of interest, and more. Malik?
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, and it's always a pleasure uh, to be on here. You guys do such a great job with this. And really, uh, a leaders in presenting What's going on in the world of healthcare and, and beyond to everyone? So it's a it's a great honor to be here. Uh, my background, so my name is Moloch Burlitz. I, I serve as the Chief Health Information Officer at Lehigh Valley Health Network, uh, which is based out of Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I've been here about four months. Uh, and my background has been in the healthcare IT space for about 10, 15 years um, from various things uh, from the government, public, private, uh, industry side. And really, uh, the background is, in short, how to leverage healthcare IT to make the healthcare experience better for everyone, uh, patients and, and providers and nurses and everybody involved, uh, because it's a challenging environment and we definitely want to make it
0: better. Thank you. And, and, and when you look at sort of this challenging environment and what's going on, what could be done to improve the environment? What's your sense of what can be helpful? Yeah, great question,
1: and and a very timely question right now. As you know, we've seen, and I think we discussed last time, uh, the staff shortages on the healthcare side. Um, We're going to be about a million nurses short by the end of 23. We're going to be 150 to 200,000 physicians short uh, very soon. And you know, so I think on this side of healthcare, how do we make life better for people so that they can um, have a meaningful life, do what they want to do. Have success in their careers, but also have some uh, some of the work-life balance, uh, and it's a challenge that healthcare is facing because it's one of the few industries that's 365, 24/7, uh, Christmas holidays, whatever it may be. And as we are in the holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas, I think it's more apparent even at this time of year um, the challenges because people want to be home with families, and rightfully so. But at the same time, patients come at all times, and you know you can't. Uh, predict when the next heart attack or stroke is, but we need people there to, to help uh, those in need. And I think it's a challenge. And I think it's going to be something we really have to think about over the next 10, 15 years, because people who are smart and, and can be a nurse or can be a physician have the ability to do many other things in life. And they can go into a lot of other industries. And we have to be able to make this industry meaningful and purposeful at the same time, well-balanced so that we don't lose people to other industries. And then be in a worse situation you know, by not having enough people.
0: And and how do we get to the spot where there is enough people? Is it is that doable? I mean, is it is it in this world of remote working where so many people have the right or desire or ability to work remote, and so many of the jobs that can't be filled to be in-person jobs, on the nurse side, on the staff side, is it possible to get back to a spot where we've got the supply of people that we need, or is that going to be just very challenging? How do you see that? Great question.
1: Uh, and so, Scott, I want to uh, talk about a little, uh, one initiative we have going on in our system that is really addressing this head on uh, instead of spinning back. Um, we call it the Future of Medicine Today. Uh, and it's a committee we're putting together to address these challenges and how do we say, okay, how do we leverage technology and digital infra- How do we leverage digital infrastructure to um, better do the things we're doing? And I think one of the first steps is to, uh, as I called it, the foundational fundamentals fast, um, the triple F is how do we, uh, stop fighting with the fax machine, so to speak, right? I think, I don't know if you remember that old movie, Office Space, um, and all day, people fighting with that old fax machine and just being frustrated with their work, um, because, uh, the, the infrastructure is not great. So I think the first thing is to really, uh, drive home and, or set up and use Uh, of our digital infrastructure, whether it be the EMR, uh, in our place, it's Epic, uh, and uh, and how do we drive that for efficiency and uh, better wellness uh, for patients, I mean, for providers and nurses. And that's one of the big initiatives for us is is to look at some of those basic infrastructure things that we can improve. And then second is on the innovation and as I call digitize and optimize, is how do we use the digital infrastructure to reduce the tasks that are on people. So, for example, uh, on a nurse today, uh, traditionally they had one to six ratio, you know, one nurse to six patients or whatever, maybe somewhere down there. And with staff shortages, that uh, ratio has gone up to one to eight or, or more so. And uh, part of the thing we're realizing is how do we look at the nursing uh, workload and say, how much of that can we take off the plate, either through uh, a better digital infrastructure or through uh, reassigning of, of tasks? So, for example, vital signs, and I've spoken about this before, is how do we automate the entire process from capturing the data off the patient for vital signs and getting that into the EMR? Right now, we use you know, several different members of the team, uh, but to me, in today's world, the only time human inter- intervention should be there is to put the device on somebody, and, but then from there, that process should be automated, that that device, pulse box, whatever, whatever it may be, captures that vital sign. Delivers it straight into the EMR in the right spot in an automated fashion. So I think automation uh, and those kind of things are a big, big part of this. Uh, how do we improve um, documentation for both providers and nurses? You know, we often in healthcare ask the same questions all the way from the ED, all the way through the OR to the inpatient side, and then at discharge. Do we really need to do that? Um, in the past, we've looked at it as well as the quality metric, and we want to verify and, and all that kind of stuff. But Maybe there's better methods of verification that we can do without having to ask the question. And frankly, as a patient, we get annoyed by all that stuff too. It's the same question over and over again. And so I think we really have an opportunity to leverage our digital infrastructure in a much better way, much cleaner way to uh, drive uh, a better experience for people working in healthcare. And I think if we do that and improve wellness, and as I say, uh, decrease the fighting with the fax machine, then I think we can uh, make that experience better and meaningful. And then people can really do what they got into health care for, which is take care of patients and, and be supportive and, and uh, give that emotional connection and, and uh, care that people need. And I think that is a real opportunity that we need to dive into
0: heavily. No, thank you. And hopefully those kinds of things will really help. It, it, it does seem daunting to get enough nurses back to the health system site, the hospital site versus the outpatient sites and other sites, but let's hope it works. And again, part of it, you're actually right, is is sort of triaging jobs and figuring out how to, how to triage jobs. So we're maybe not as reliant on so many registered nurses possibly. And on the physician side, it seems like we just have a short, given the size of the population, 330 million people and counting, and the number of physician spots available each year, and the number of physicians retiring, and the changing makeup of the workforce, it, it just also seems like a daunting challenge. One that is more of a math problem because we've got enough people that want to be doctors, but we don't have enough residency and doctor spots. So how do we, how do we solve that? Because that does seem like, that seems to be like, there's not a shortage of people that want to be doctors. There's more people that apply each year. There's more quality people that apply, apply each year. Very qualified okay. people can't get into medical school and residency. So how do we fix that so that we have, you know, in, improve our ratio of patients population to
1: doctors. Yeah, great question. And I think that's the other thing, you know, is you hit the nail on the head in that sense is how do we uh, increase the funnel size, right? So if somebody really wanted to go to medical school and I'll say right now the other funnel that's there is from medical school to residency. You know, 10, 15 years ago, if you graduated medical school, you were guaranteed a residency spot somewhere. It may not be your first choice, may not be your first specialty choice, but you were guaranteed a spot somewhere. And now uh, as we've increased the size of medical schools and the enrollment, what we haven't done is increased the, the slots for residency. And so we have people that are MDs by graduation, but they can't get into a residency spot uh, because uh, there aren't enough spots uh, available. And so I think we definitely need to increase the funnel uh, on a couple areas and, and allow people to be there. And I think the other part of it is, uh, we see a lot of people who are MDs or DOs and they, they get into clinical medicine, but they don't stay as long. And part of that is because there are opportunities, whether you become uh, on the industry side and become a consultant or whether you uh, go into administration. And I think part of the reason people do that is because the attraction of, of their work day and, and being a physician uh, has decreased. And so that's the other part of that is we, we need to keep people who are clinical in the clinical role by making that, that life more uh, attractive and, and uh, more balanced for wellness. And I think that's the other part of this. I mean, me included, right? I, I was fully clinical at one point in my career. And now I'm um, not clinical for majority of my time. And I think in and, and part of it, is I enjoy what I do today. And, and that's great. But for a lot of people, it's also because it's an escape from the daily grind of, of clinical care sometimes. And it's hard. It's hard to be on call 30 straight hours, three times a week. Uh, that's a lot on your body. Uh, and, and after a certain point in life, it's it's hard to do that. It's hard to work nights and weekends all the time with, when family uh, pressures are there as well. And so I think those are all kinds of things that we have to address and figure out uh, a better uh, solution for, uh, because otherwise we're all going to be in trouble because we're all going to need health care, right? Food, shelter, and health are three basic needs. But if we don't have the right people involved in health care, then the care that we need, none of us will be able to get.
0: But your point is so well taken. It's three different funnels. It's the, it's the funnel in to medical school. It's the funnel from there to residency. And now there's, you know, five, 10% of people that finish medical school don't get a residency. Then it's the funnel out, people that get into the medical profession and, and at some point end up not in clinical work or end up part-time or end up doing something else. And all good. It just means part-time is great, which is more doctors and we should reach all those gaps. Uh, it really is a fascinating, challenging situation. And at the end of the day, if we're not careful, we very much get to a situation like some of these other hugely populated countries, where they just don't have the infrastructure on the back end to take care of sick people in in a difficult period of time and and just, uh, you know, let alone on day-to-day. Dr. Pura, it's so interesting. Any other subjects that are top of mind for you currently that you're watching closely?
1: Yeah, I think I guess the other part of this I'll say, uh, you know, Scott, I think is I'm making uh, an advocacy plea here is also about reimbursement, right? Because I think you know, these are hard jobs that people have. And uh, with the inflation and some of the economic pressures we've seen over the last uh, two years, um, I think that's the other area that we need to look at is, is the healthcare economics for reimbursement and, and compensation for, for staff, because that is still trailing uh, the current environment. Um, and so I think that's a whole other chapter that we can discuss for hours on end. But I think you know, the salary part of healthcare is actually quite small. When you look at it, um, you know a lot of costs are uh, drug costs, services costs or facility costs, those kind of things. But the salary cost uh, from a healthcare GDP perspective is um, on the lower end, and I think we need to uh, allow for um, those things to catch up with the current environment as well.
0: But no, thank you and couldn't agree more. And you're right, the total compensation to physicians is, is so small compared to the entire cost of healthcare, and such an important linchpin of the whole system is the physician component part of it that I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it, it, I want to thank you, Dr. Purehead, as always, for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Always a pleasure to visit with you, one of the best in the business. Thank you very much for joining us, yeah. Malik.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure and, and an honor to be here. So thank you for having me.